on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. You have to take this particular incident in a vacuum because it really is there are mental health issues involved. There are other issues involved. And I think you have to take it uniquely. But I under, I also understand that concern from journalists. But there's extremes, though. So I think that... There are extremes. Like, that's a good... That's were, the point. There's yeah. extremes. We need to meet in the middle. So yeah. the problem is, is that tennis is the extreme. We've seen how tennis has treated Serena Williams and her sister, Venus Williams. Yeah. They've figured out how to deal with it and still excel at their sport. That doesn't make it okay. Second round of the playoffs starting, and the Hawks are flying. They're flying way too high, folks. Naomi Osaka pulls out of the French, sparking a conversation about uh, the relationship between journalists and athletes and mental health. Plus, Renee reveals how the WNBA and the Atlanta Dream are celebrating Pride Month, and Chris Bosch joins us to talk about his new book and his time with the Miami Heat. It's Take Line Right Now. I'm Jason Concepcion. I'm Renee Montgomery. Let's go! Renee, it was a wild sports Sunday, including uh, the Logan Paul Mayweather fight that gave my uh, computer 57 viruses and the thrilling inaugural final of the CONCACAF Nations League tournament between the U.S. and Mexico, a young U.S. team. Uh, beat Mexico for the first time in almost 10 years, and it's the first uh, competitive win since the 2017 Gold Cup for the U.S. men's national team that has been disappointing of late. Uh, let me just quickly run down yes, the please, levels I don't know of CONCACAF. <laughs> so CONCACAF is the uh, organizing body that includes North America, the Caribbean, and Central America. So Mexico, the U.S., Canada, Aruba, uh, Panama. And CONCACAF competitive games are always crazy. Like most nations have CONCACAF games in stadiums with like fencing around the pitch because people invade the pitch all the time and throw stuff. That was absolutely the case. First of all, a 3-2 win that (laughs) included two penalties in the, uh, in the final minutes, uh, including a a go ahead goal by a U.S. star Christian Pulisic who plays for Chelsea, incredible, confidently taken penalty, and then a Mexico penalty off a dicey handball that went to a Mexico penalty that led to a, a incredible save by a substitute goalkeeper, uh, Horvath, playing in front of his hometown crowd. Like, the, the amount of things that happened. First of all, there were many things thrown on the pitch. 
numerous times that led to uh, Giovanni Reina, American player Giovanni Reina, son of uh, U.S. legend Claudia Reina, getting hit in the head by like a full can of Coke and concussed yeah, and had to be like I'm walked sorry. off the field. It was terrible. And by the way, this is the shit that happens all the time in CONCACAF. The game had to be stopped because of a long-running anti-gay chant by the Mexico fans. Uh, there were numerous scuffles. The final VAR uh, review penalty, the uh, Mexico coach went over and like put his arm around the ref as the official is like reviewing the thing. What? You can't touch the ref. You can't touch the ref at uh, all during like a review. Red card, the coach thrown off. It was like so, so, so nuts and really exciting because this is a young U.S. team with a lot of talent that is currently playing overseas, including uh, uh, Barcelona player Dest, Weston McKinney, who plays for Juventus in the midfield. Uh, isn't Zach Stefan, um, isn't he the goalie? He was the goalie, but they ended up they ended up uh, pulling him for Horvath. Uh, and say he was a substitution. Yeah, he he played well. Like it was, it it was a messy. Here's the thing. The other thing is, Concacaf games. You can never really say that anybody played well. I guess except for Horvath who came in and made it a, a, a game saving save. But Concacaf games are always super physical, really, really messy, and that was the case here. It was just an absolute mess that. Thankfully, the U.S. won, but it could have gone. It could have gone either way. It's really crazy. Uh, just really exciting for anybody that loves U.S. soccer. And it's really crazy because U.S. soccer is coming off of an upset, you know. And so that's you know there was a lot of talk when I talked to Zach. You know, not making it mm -hmm. was was an upset to the U.S. soccer team. So I just like hearing but that we're back in the thick of things, and 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 you know what I mean, playing at a high level because obviously I'm an athlete and I love when we're yes. competing at the highest level. So you got bragging rights. So I didn't know what was going on, but I did see so many clips online oh about the bot the cans being thrown. And I just saw so many tweets. I'm like, oh what my is God. I gotta talk to Jason. Uh so yeah, and, and the great thing about it is this US men's national team has a lot of young talent that is making its way in world soccer and is starting to make an impact now in the men's national team. Sergino Dest, who plays for Barcelona. McKinney, as I mentioned, uh, plays for Juventus. Pulisic, who just won the Champions League with Chelsea. Uh, it's super, super, super exciting. So incredibly caffeinated, crazy levels of CONCACAF game that, like, I couldn't sleep for two hours after it. Just unbelievable wow. stuff. And uh, anybody that that watched it felt that level of energy that was basically unsafe. You can't have that much CONCACAF late on a Sunday night before people have to go to work and go to school. So this congratulations to the U.S. It was irresponsible. Now let's talk about the playoffs, NBA playoffs. Renee, looks like the Hawks are pretty good. <laughs> Come on now. Yes. Okay. I've been waiting for this, Jason. Okay. So, okay. We're in the second round of the playoffs. Your Hawks took out my Knicks. And I want to thank the Philadelphia 76ers for going down 20-plus to the Hawks early in the game because now you see, for everybody who's like, why can't the Knicks, uh, why can't they knock Trey off the ball? Why can't they attack him on defense? Why can't they do this and that? Why? Because he's 
inc- he's really, really good, and the Hawks are a dangerous team. Let's talk about it. Hawks 76ers. Uh, let's they, they, talk, let's about talk about it, it, Jason, because here's the thing. The, the hashtag made before the playoffs was hashtag believe Atlanta. The only reason the hashtag was made is because everyone watching Atlanta on a normal basis knew what we have, saw what we have, watch it on a regular basis. We probably had less than five national TV games. So I this really matters because a lot of national media, national fans, they haven't really watched Trey Young on full display. He's not doing anything different than what he does every single night. Like I don't I don't know how to stress this enough that you should just believe Atlanta in a sense of Trey Young is as good as advertised. Yes, our teams haven't been good in the past enough to make the playoffs. But Trey Young has been doing that, and everybody tried to minimalize it to, oh, well, he's just a volume shooter that just shoots a lot and can't carry a team and blah, blah, blah. And then when we got our free agents in the offseason, we paid too much for everyone, according to everyone known to man. Bogey's not good enough. Danilo Gallinari is on his last leg. He can be- I'm just saying the things that were said to us. And I'm just sitting here looking at this team like, Man, injuries have really given us fits, as with every other team in the NBA. Yeah. But nobody's putting that asterisk beside ours. Like, when we were losing with all of our injuries, it was, oh, man, Atlanta's just not good enough. There's they, The talent isn't put together. It's not that. But when other people were losing, Anthony Davis is out. That's why they're losing. Oh, this person's hurt. No one gave us that asterisk, right? So now everyone gets healthy. And we start to see all those pieces that – Coach Lloyd Pierce and Coach Nate McMillan put together, and Coach Nate McMillan has just been doing an amazing job of, you hear the press conferences, they're talking that talk. The Atlanta Hawks players are like, look, we think we can win. We don't care what everyone else thinks. They're saying it out loud so that people understand this is not a fluke. And so for me, I'm hyped because I watch them every, you know, I cover the Hawks every single game. So I'm just watching X's and O's of our team. And if people thought that Trey Young is a fluke, he's not. If people thought the Knicks were terrible, they're not. We're actually just a really good team. It's hard for people. Really it's really good. hard for people to get that, Jason. Like, you get what I'm trying to say? People are, it's hard for people to understand that concept. The thing that I kept thinking watching Trey just cut up the Knicks and then uh, eviscerate the, the 76ers defense, 76ers made an incredible push in the final minutes of the game. Yeah. Uh, just cut it to only a four point uh, Hawks lead, is that. Trey's game shows you the importance of a floater in the modern NBA Ooh. game, especially at this point in the season where everybody's good. Yeah. NBA defenses want to run you off that three. They want to run you off that three. Every NBA defense that's worth anything is predicated on running shooters off that three. And then what's waiting for you when you come off that three there's a dragon under the rim, right? There's Clint Capella yeah. for the Hawks. There's Joel Embiid for the 76ers. There's yeah. Rudy Gobert for Utah. There's DeAndre Ayton for, uh, for Phoenix. So you got to have some, especially as a small guard, you got to have something on the yep. run that will allow you to score. And that freaking floater, I wake up at night and I'm just like, <laughs> floater, another floater. So I don't want to see that floater yet. And it's just, it is an unbelievable weapon. And listen, I thought, Obviously, this, the Sixers had to find something in that first half, and it feels like they found a few things, uh, you know, crashing the pick and roll. They bring Thibel over. Uh, they did a few uh, things to try and disrupt the Hawks getting into their sets. But, man, 
Trey loves to see that trap because he can pass with both hands. It is, and you got to exactly. do it 35 feet out. Like, that's the other thing. It's not like you're doing it just like around the three-point line. You got to do it like midway be- between Listen, the three-point line and the half court. Trey Young like, held up the floater. He held up the three-pointer like love and basketball. Monica Wright, I'm telling you, <laughs> he held it up there. 35-footer, he stood there and posed, like, just so people can understand, he shoots those like he shoots normal threes. And then it's just to say what maybe the Sixers can do. They got it. Of course, you have to get the ball out of his hands. Easier said than done, right? You got to get the ball out of Trey's hands. More than that, because y'all have Bogdanovich, y'all have Herder, you all have yep. ball handlers. More than that, you got to keep him from getting it back. Like, I think denial is the next step for the 76ers. If they can, if they can force the ball out of Trey's hands, great. Again, great passer. I, oh man, I found a stat in a, uh, in a, Kevin Arnovitz's piece on ESPN. So when the Sixers sent multiple defenders at Young, they did it 15 times in the second half. Uh, the Hawks went seven for 11 for 19 points during those possessions because he can just find guys. Wow. So not only yeah. that, you have to get the ball out of his hands. You have to run off those shooters and then you have to stop him from getting it back. Just denial, put those big bodies on him, those athletic bodies and try and keep the ball out of his hands. But uh, man, Hawks are good. And you know, <laughs> and you know, Hawks when, are good. It, it, Hawks are good. Like, I just say it again for the people in the back, Jason, because I just Hawks are good. I think it's and hard I for say, people. Oh, 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 one more thing, because I had a, a lot of my Knicks friends, I had a, a friend of mine was like, called me after the Knicks loss and we're like, we never got physical with Trey. Why didn't we, why don't we knock him down? Why didn't we, wh-? I'm like, first of all, Trey is six foot nothing. There are basketball professionals on that sideline. You think about basketball every second of every day. You yes. think that right now they have never thought of, I guess we should get physical <laughs> with Trey Young. You think that if you walked over there and told them that you, they'd be like, oh my God. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for coming up. What a no. great idea. Yeah. No. First of all, he's incredible at drawing fouls and he's a great foul shooter. So he's just going to go to the line again and again. And two, you can't catch him. Like, he's you, getting physical with him 30, 35 feet from the basket. It's just, there's a reason it keeps on not happening. And that's because he's really good at not letting it dissuade his game. And I would like to say that the Knicks did try to get physical they tried. with Trey Young. They, they tried. did it. They did tries. it not while the game was going on. Remember, they were bumping him and yeah. he was like fixing his shirt, walking to halftime, like walking to the locker room. They We're tried trying. to get physical they tried to get with his head. him. It's I don't work. know if people understand, but that fuels him. Trey Young is who he says he is, and he wants people to know that. So the more you try to get under his skin or get him, that's like fuel to the gas tank. Like, he loves that. I'm just saying. They, they tried. They tried. Uh, well, they listen. Tried. <laughs> they tried. There's, and, and it turns out that Trey's good. I mean, what can you do? He's good. What about uh, let's go to Bucks Nets game two oh, is uh, tonight we are uh, we're taping Monday morning game two is Monday night Bucks fell uh, to the extremely combustible Brooklyn Nets despite the fact that uh, James Harden left yeah. within moments of the opening tip uh, with hamstring soreness which is uh, not great Harden missed twenty one games during the regular season much of those with that tight hamstring yeah the hamstring just kind of it doesn't really go away. It's the worst. It either heals or it doesn't, and it just hangs around. It just hangs around, and there's uh, so Harden ruled out for game two. Uh, the Bucks need to figure something out, but I'm not sure what you know what they can really do because uh, man, the 
The Nets are just good. They only need two of the guys at any time. And the rest of the team is really good. Uh, I think that if I were the Nets, I feel yep. like I would just sit them. I would just sit Harden until yeah. basically the finals. Like that's just how I would I would look at it. I would be like, he's not rolled out of just game two, it's game three, it's game four, it's game how many ever games it takes. He's out. And they have the luxury, like you said, of they have, they have two the guys on any given night that can just carry any team. Like those two guys alone together, that's, that's it. plenty. And so when you add Harden, that's a wealth. They have a wealth of talent. So one of their talent isn't there. I don't think it changes anything for the Brooklyn Nets because, again, you saw what they can do. They're just – they're that team, you know, and I think they realized that when they lost the game last round, James Harden said it. He said, look, I think it was the best thing for us because we had to realize that we actually have to try almost. Like he was basically saying they yeah. know they're good and sometimes they just rest on that. They're a scary team. I just I don't care if Harden's out. They're the they're finals. terrifying. Like they're a very scary team. Period. Yeah. Uh, according to Cleaning the Glass, without Harden, Katie and Irving in the lineups, those lineups outscored opponents by nine point one points per hundred possessions. So they're just they don't even need him. It's insurance really that they had three, and oh, the rest of the team, yeah. Harris. You know, Claxton. Uh, yeah. They're, they're just good. The rest of the team knows and how they to play. Matter uh, too. They matter yeah. because when you have superstars, they look what really we just said matter. about Trey Young. You want to trap. You want to get the ball out of their hands. You want to make them pass it. Well, if you're passing to a, a, a Joe Harris who's going to, who's a sniper, it's I mean, I'm eye. just saying that's just going to knock it down. It's just deadly. Yeah. They're, they're, they're role players. It's just deadly. So, I mean, I really hope that we make it past the 76ers because I want to see us play. That. I, I want to see what it looks like. Like, I want to see up close and personal what it looks it's like. Gonna be, it's going to be fireworks. That will be fireworks if that <laughs> happens. But finish your food, Atlanta Hawks. Don't play with I your said food. If. I'm not one of those people. I said <laughs> if we make it. I'm not jinxing. I'm not saying. I just said if we make it, I would love to see it. Two high-powered offenses. I mean, high that's powered. just fun to watch in general. The fans win, period. Uh, Jazz Clippers game one is Tuesday. Oh man, uh, I'm excited for this. So the Clippers defeated the Mavericks, and let me just say, first of all, congratulations yes. to all my Clippers fans. Friends, I have a lot of friends that are fans of the Clippers. They were in a state of like ice cold <laughs> panic for the last week. And a half. Oh yeah, I, I, I mean, don't even know if panic is the word. <laughs> I think that they were. If there was anything further than that. They were deciding on whether they wanted to switch and be Laker fans. <laughs> they were so upset about Kawhi. I mean, oh. I've seen all the tweets. Don't delete them now, Clippers fans. We saw the tweets, okay? They were walking around like in a absolutely catatonic haze. So just to recap, first of all, the Clippers tanked their final games of the season to avoid the Lakers, which I think in retrospect, you would have liked to take on the Lakers who uh, were ailing and and just not able to put together a cohesive uh, team on the court. They wanted the Mavericks, despite the fact that the regular season would have tended to indicate that the Mavericks were a problem for the Clippers. They beat them by 50 at one point in the regular season. Yeah. And, and Luka just ran wild the whole time. Well, guess what happens? They dropped the first two at home. Series went seven. Uh, 
Kawhi Leonard put the team on his back in game six and seven, like an all time put the team on my back game in game six. Kawhi was hitting, hit like three shots down the stretch that were just iconic, legendary. I'm getting to my spot. I'm hitting this where we're losing shots. Unbelievable stuff. And then they won. Now it's Jazz Clippers. What do you think of this series? Uh, I think the series is going to be interesting because I think that was a wake-up call for the Clippers. The reason that the Clippers and the fans were going crazy is because everyone knows the potential that the Clippers had and everyone's looking at how they're playing and we're like, what is going on? Why isn't it matching up? I think when you drop two, the first two at home, like (laughs) that's a wake-up call. Yeah, it is. Like that, you... Like they were, their backs were against the wall. Like you couldn't get any closer to the wall than the Clippers got. And they showed up. The players were who they, who we thought they were. I think that's going to carry over into the next round. I really do. And I think that now they're going to be thinking, we can't drop those first two. We got to come out the first game. So for me, I just know that the Clippers are going to be a ready team next round because it looked like they weren't ready last round. But what do you think? Like, what do you think about that matchup? Uh, I first of all, I agree with you when you uh, the Clippers invited disaster. And I think what we all expect from a Clippers team is to collapse under that pressure. And they didn't. They came together. Uh, their best player is playing his best basketball at exactly the right time. It sounds hokey, but like the Clippers are a team that like needs leadership you know Kawhi is incredible but he doesn't really he's not like I'm gonna yell at you and tell you what silent to do. assassin he's a yeah. silent assassin and Paul George uh takes up that mantle and maybe he shouldn't sometimes maybe he's the guy that should speak a little less at times uh Marcus Moore senior at times tries to take the the leadership mantle and the, and it's just uh but when Kawhi is playing great and can and is leading by example they are extremely strong uh, the, uh, the jazz have Donovan Mitchell back and he looks like he missed absolutely no time coming back off of the high ankle strain. I think it's going to go seven. I am picking the Clippers okay. to go to their first conference final in, in the history of the franchise. So I'm going to take the, the, the Clippers in seven. I'm not at all confident about it. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> But I think that, uh, oh. but I think that Kawhi Leonard playing like this is the best player on the floor and one of the best players in the NBA when he is playing at this level on both sides of the ball. So that's that's what I think. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because like you you know how you said you're not very confident, and if you say the game seven, that means that it's it's anyone's game. I I feel the exact same way. I think I'm going to go with the Jazz though. Okay. I don't know. I just I just I think the same in seven. So I think. We all know that this is going to be so close close together that it's probably going to be six, seven games. It's interesting with the Jazz, though, with Donovan Mitchell being infused back in because I think that matters. Yeah. I think when you're talking tired legs, you're talking energy, you're talking Donovan Mitchell is going to be just this spark plug. He's yeah. wanted to play. He's been wanting to play. He's been wanting to get out there. And you got to remember, players read the press clippings, too. So – Utah is reading about all about the Clippers. No, not a lot of people are talking about Utah because everything is, you know, it's LA and yes, they get press here and there, but that's been the story. So they want to get the Trey Young package basically where you get on the big stage and now your name is everywhere. Everyone's talking about you. These players want to shine and not to say that the Clippers don't, but I think that that is, I'm watching it firsthand with the Hawks. That's a huge motivator when people feel slighted or feel like the underdog or feel like, 
I, I think that so again, I think it's so close knit. I'm not confident about it as well, but I think the Jazz have this huge chip on their shoulder that I think that they that they're gonna be playing with. And the Clippers, we've seen last round that they can get complacent. So yes. I just know that we have one team that has a huge chip and the other team that just be chilling sometimes. Okay. It's really two teams that nobody believes in. Here's the thing like Utah has a great yeah. season, they're a great team. The Clippers yeah. Ha- yeah. have arguably the most talent on paper left in the Western Conference. Nobody believes in either team <laughs> and nobody should. Until they see something. So it's going to be a fun series. Uh, Nugget Suns. Whew. Okay. Um, I think that this one for me is. Hi, Suns. Uh, yeah, this one is for me is easier. Uh, Devin Booker with a 47 point master piece to advance. the. Uh, Can we talk about that, though? Wow. No, it wasn't just. There were so many storylines. Okay. First of all, Devin Booker pulled up to staples and i'm like who drives to the away game anyway he drove his all-black buick grand national to the game it looked like a battleship it was so big <laughs> <laughs> like i'm you know what I, i'm first of all that to me i was like okay i see you Devin. i knew he was gonna be on one then then you got to remember his boo thing kendall jenner the la girl yeah. is gonna be yes. there her ex her ex is on the other team you're going against her ex and when I tell you, Devin Booker didn't just take over the game and win the way he did it. He was telling people, what? What? You got something to say? Oh, he I didn't was, think so. Like He, he was, was like punking people, it looked like. That whole I just couldn't believe it. Squad. I just couldn't, I just couldn't the game, what happened. Late in the game, there was a moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a moment where uh, Chris Paul was doing the uh, the Andre Drummond imitating LeBron post-up meme like on the court uh and yep. it it was it, man unbelievable the uh, LeBron James goes out in the first round for the first time ever again Booker I think that uh obviously the Lakers were not healthy Anthony Davis arguably should not have even taken yeah. the court in that game because definitely he, should not have taken the court no way in the first 10 seconds when you saw him sliding Not to the good. left and to the right, I was like, take him out. Like, just anybody can see, like, take him out. Definitely shouldn't have been on the court. I, I mean, you know, props to him for giving it a go. Uh, but, yeah, it should not have been out there. I look at Denver, and they have kind of, like, cobbled together a backcourt um, in the absence of Jamal Murray with 30-year-old Facundo Campazzo and Austin Rivers, who uh, was my favorite Nick for 14 hours earlier this season. 14 hours. <laughs> I can't. When the Knicks, he scored like 25, <laughs> the Knicks beat the Jazz, and uh, he hit a bunch of threes, and I was like, Austin Rivers is my favorite Nick. That lasted for 14 hours. Um, I just think that this, Devin Booker should run wild against this Denver backcourt. 100%. Should absolutely run wild. I, I I love what Denver did this season. The injuries are awful. Jokic has had an unbelievable season. One of my favorite players to watch. I think the Suns are going to win in five or six. Yeah, and and, and speaking on Composo and Austin Rivers, amazing pickup by Denver. By the way, Austin Rivers came in. He's, He's literally been a pro. won a couple games. He's been He's a pro. Won some games for them, like literally. Yeah. But Composo, he's interesting because. He gets under people's skin. I, I watched Steph Curry play against him. And it's not that he slowed down Steph Curry. It's just when 
a player makes a shot and then makes a point to go look at the defender and let him know that I just did that on you. Yes. That means that they're under your skin a little bit. Like I, it's not that he's slowing them down, but he bothers players. So that's going to be fun to watch with Chris Paul and Compazzo just because yeah. of that dynamic. Chris Paul is with the games. Like you just said, he was doing the LeBron meme there. He's with the games. Devin Booker though. That's yeah, the he's... one. Like Devin Booker is the same. These players want to take that next step from really good to yes, I'm that dude. I'm a part. I need to be in the conversation basically with the good, good ones. And so Devin Booker is another one of those guys that he's driven by that. Booker he's out. been in Phoenix yep. where everyone has said that they have should have been better many, many years. They get Chris Paul now, and they are the team that we all thought they could be. They're loving it. But yeah, I got Suns. I got the Suns. Um, I, I think the Nuggets will put up a good fight, but I, agree. I don't think that this one is, I don't think this was the Phoenix. If the Phoenix Suns don't win this round, I would be shocked. A Booker averaged, uh, almost 30 points a game, six rebounds, five assists, 42% from three against the Lakers. I think he's going to go. I think he's just going to eat against this Denver backline. Uh, wow. Really? I, NBA players are super, super Super fun. I right love now. this time of the year. <laughs> so Lakers out in the first round to the Suns. Uh, LeBron James had been 14 to zero in the first round. He goes out in the first round for the first time in his career. Uh, it's probably his most injury hit season in his career. AD uh, has been bedeviled by injuries throughout the course of his career, and they hit at the worst possible time, and the Lakers are out. This has led to people saying, um, you know, that bubble season, that bubble finals, the the, uh, the LA won, that bubble championship should come with an asterisk. I don't know what you think, Renee, but let me just say that, one, of course it should come with an asterisk, and two... The whole world should come with an asterisk in 2020. (laughs) The entire globe, everything that happened on earth in your personal professional (laughs) life and your personal life, every, every business, schools, everything should come with an asterisk, not just the L.A. Lakers championship, which should come with an asterisk and which should bother nobody. Because 2020 was an absolute So what do you mess. mean by that asterisk, though? What do you think the asterisk for the Lakers means? You know, if you had to write the ledger at the bottom, what the asterisk defines it, what do you think it means for the Lakers championship? I, I, I think it just means that we need to acknowledge as we go forward into history, when we talk about that 2020 championship, that it was played under unique circumstances. It was played in a single yeah. location, not in front of fans. In a uh, yeah. in a format that was completely new, it was played. Uh, the this, the games that followed and the season that followed was played under extremely condensed circumstances. It was yeah. played uh, isolated from people's loved ones. It was it, it everything about it. It was played in the midst of a pandemic that took millions of lives globally, hundreds of thousands of lives in this country, and. All in all, it was unique. It was, it should be the context that it took place within should always be mentioned. And 
people who are trying to say, oh, this is in terms of like LeBron or the Lakers legacy, this matters. It it matters, but also it, it, it should not be forgotten that the context that that took place within is the context that all of us were acting within and that it was uniquely disruptive and and entirely tragic and that it asterisk does not undercut the importance of that finals. Exactly. And I love what you just said, because um, if anybody has seen the ESPN film 144 about the WNBA players in the bubble, that asterisk to all the athletes, that means that it was a harder championship to win. So I think the fans, I'm glad you brought that up because I think the fans think that the asterisk would mean that it shouldn't count as much as a normal championship. Right. But the asterisk actually means this was probably one of the hardest championships ever in the history of sports to win. Jason just listed about every reason to why it would be hard for an athlete to perform at their highest. It would be hard for an athlete to focus on their sport. It would be hard for an athlete to band together when everything is falling apart on the outside. And so for people that think that that asterisk on the Lakers could mean anything other than, wow, that is the most mentally tough team maybe in the history. I don't know, but that's what I think it should mean because a lot of people aren't athletes. I get that. So they don't understand how hard it is when you go on the court for 48 minutes in the NBA to lock in on everything that's going on when your whole world could be falling apart. That's how it felt for a lot of people. I mean, just think about if you're at home and you have things going on in your personal life and you have to go to work and perform and act like nothing's wrong. No one cares if something's wrong when you're an athlete. So I wanted people to understand that to go then into this year. That's a completely different roster, by the way. Danny Green's no longer there. JaVale McGee. And I know a lot of people might say Mm -hmm. JaVale McGee. Yeah, he was amazing. Dwight Howard. He was amazing with the Golden State Warriors. He was amazing with the Lakers. Dwight Howard was on that team, no longer there. Very important. That's not the same team. I just those are not the same. So that that team that was in the bubble in 2020 is not even close to the same team. So a lot of people don't realize that that 2020 team is not the same Mm -hmm. 2021 team. Every player matters. It matters for the chemistry. It matters for how the X's and O's work. It matters for how the plays are run. So I don't know what people are talking about as far as legacy and all this other stuff. What we should be talking about is, wow, here's a guy that for the first time ever has been knocked out of the first round. There's people that barely make it to the playoffs. I just want people to understand there's teams that barely make it. And we're complaining that one got knocked out in the first round for the first time ever. Stop it. Like there's no legacy talk at 36 at 36. Stop it. Like at 36, how many other superstars are we critiquing this closely about how they carry their team? Usually we praise anything they do at this age because it's like, wow, you're doing this at 36. So we have to stop that slander about legacy. I don't even think that's a non-starter. I think it's silly to even talk about. Okay, so Jason, Suzanne A. Bear, co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, and myself are members of the LGBTQ community, which is super rare for pro-ownership. Mm-hmm. The important part about this is, first of all, you need to know that it's Pride Month. I know you know, yes. but I say that because the WNBA, as usual, is leading the charge in inclusivity. And I just want to talk about some of the things that the league, as well as the Atlanta Dream, are celebrating during Pride. So I'll start with us, the Atlanta Dream. 
So every team typically has a pride game every year. Um, there's pride games on national TV. And for the Atlanta Dream, we're going to have drag queens come in and be our in-game host. So normally, as you guys, if you go to the games in person, there's people that are in arena that gets the crowd hype, that gives the updates, the everything that you need to know in arena. Well, we have normal hosts that do it. But for pride game, we're going to have some, some drag queens come in and turn up one time for the one time. Uh, we have rainbow theme graphics, and then we're going to highlight a lot of the Atlanta Pride leadership because, as we know, Atlanta is one of the flagships when it comes to Pride and, and the Pride Parade. People travel in from all over the world to go to the, the Pride Parade, and so we're going to bring in some of those people that bring that to life. Also, to be noted, there wasn't a Pride Parade last year. We were in a whole pandemic, and so this year the Pride Parade is coming back, but the WNBA just has been an advocate for support for the LGBTQ community and, and all of its allies. And so I just love that being a part of progressive leagues, as we see, there's yes. a lot of not progressive yes. leagues around there and the WNBA, <laughs> really whether it's social <laughs> justice, whether it's pride, whatever it is, the WNBA is just always in the forefront. So I just love like what we see. It's not just social justice. It's not just, racial inequality, all of those things, but it's just equality. And so, you know, me being a part of the community, a member of the community, it's very rare to have two owners that are a part of the community. So it's June, baby. We here. I love it. I mean, it's just, it's just goes to show that for the life of the WNBA, since it started, the league has never run from the smoke. The, the league has been in the smoke. There's no way to get away from it. The league, that is... The league's DNA. It's, we want all the smoke. Yes, all of it. Moving on to action, some unbelievable game winners, buzzer beaters in the W uh, this past week. Uh, this is continuing the trend that has uh, been going on for the entire season. Yeah. Unbelievable. And we started shot out opening making. night, Jason. <laughs> it started <laughs> opening night. Like the first night that the game started, Dinah Taurasi just wanted to say, allow me to reintroduce myself in case you forgot. And then Sabrina Inescu was like, hey, don't forget about me. I got hurt last year early in the season, but I'm still They've here. They've dropped their last three, but it's okay. They've dropped their last three, but, yeah. uh, st but uh, still right there in the standings. It's a long season. That's okay. Great shot by Sabrina. Great shot by Sabrina. You're right. They've dropped some. They've. They're a young team, you yeah. know, so they're a young team. They're going to drop they're some. They're a young team. Kia Nurse, you know, she's new to the Phoenix Mercury. Woo! She hit almost a half-court game winner. Jewel Lloyd, let me just stop really quick. I don't want to just go past Jewel yeah. Lloyd because I think too many media people have been just sliding past what Jewel Lloyd has been doing for the Seattle Storm. It's been incredible. It's been very Mamba-like, and I believe that she's the gold Mamba titled herself by Kobe Bryant. She's a gold mamba and she has lived up to the hype, like every bit of it. When I talk about ice in her veins, she's hit, I think, two, maybe three buzzer beaters already this season. She's hit one. There was only 0.8 seconds left on the clock. Let me just walk you through this because she said in her press conference that Noel Quinn, shouts to Noel Quinn, new, new head coach for the Seattle Storm. She said, Noel drew up an amazing play and I got off a normal shot. Jewel, there was only, and I call her Jewels, just so you guys know, I played with her, so I'm not pronouncing her name wrong <laughs> on, on accident. I call her that. She knows that on purpose. 
She said with 0.8 seconds left, she got off a normal shot. That's not normal to be able to get off a normal shot in 0.8 seconds. So I just wanted to put that out there because she's been playing so good. And then Enrique Agumbawale, if you guys mm -hmm. haven't seen her in college do her thing, she actually knocked out UConn to win. She's just a gamer. Juliet MVP, early MVP. It's way too early, but like MVP candidate? Has to be. Has to be. We got to talk about it. She has to be early MVP candidate. Benajah Laney has to be up there. Mm -hmm. John Quell Jones has to be up there. There's some people that just have to be up there. And I, I, I just, I don't know why they're not, but they have to be. And there's just, if people aren't watching the WNBA, I'm telling you, it's crazy. There's the high scoring, there's the buzzer beaters, there's the theatrics, the there's drama, a lot everything of theatrics. you want in sports. There's all of it. And so, look, obviously, I played in the WNBA for 11 years, but what I'm seeing this year, it's never happened. Like this many buzzer beaters, this many games on TV with the hype, with as good as advertised. I just never seen it. So the WNBA is thriving. Like I'm a fan. I'm talking from a fan perspective at this point. And I'm like, yo, it's lit here. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. A couple weeks ago, Naomi Osaka announced via social media that she was not going to do any press at the French Open. She cited uh, mental health concerns and some other concerns and, and uh, talked about um, how kind of the aggressiveness of the questions that take place right after games and noted that she was going to talk to. Uh, she was going to do press, but that it was going to be uh, with some uh, reporters that she had a personal relationship with. After that, the French uh, fined her $15,000. The four other majors, uh, Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, the Australian, then uh, got involved and said there would be, if Naomi or other players tried to not do press uh, during their tournaments, that they could, there could possibly be greater consequences, including fines and, and bans. Uh, Naomi ended up pulling out of the French and she just recently pulled out of the uh, Berlin WTA event, which is more of a war warm up tournament for uh, for Wimbledon. Um, this whole story has sparked a conversation that is really nuanced and uh, really complicated. It involves uh, mental health. It involves athlete access uh, of course, race and gender, because we're talking about uh, world tennis, which is an extremely white sport uh, that has in yep. the past certainly favored the men's game over the women's game. All of that is involved. Uh, Renee, what do you think of this situation and the conversations around it? 
You know, I, I think that it's it's time, you know, and we, we talk about coming off of that 2020 year where we all need an asterisk for 2020. I think that athletes just started to look around when you're looking around, when you start to do housekeeping, basically, and America had to do some housekeeping last year. There was a lot of stuff wrong in our household. And we realized that things aren't done right in our household. And we realized we want things to be done better. Well, athletes did the same thing when it came to sports and athletes started to speak out like, well, if we're going to fix some stuff in America, let's fix some stuff in the sports world as well. And you started to see athletes, not only just saying that their sports teams need to support them, but they took it a step further in the NBA bubble and said their owners, their management needs to make sure that they're doing things that support social justice. And so that was changing sports. You see it now, even still, in the playoffs, NBA on TNT, they have a Black Lives Matter sign there. That's new. That happened in 2020. But this thing that athletes have dealt with for a long time, it's its mental health. Mental health is something that's been just a huge stigma. I remember when Kevin Love came out and talked about his mental health struggles, and it was a shocker. People couldn't believe that an athlete mm-hmm. had mental issues to begin with. And so then when Naomi Osaka comes out, and she says it the first time, she says, you know what? Basically, I'm paraphrasing here. She wanted to protect her peace. She just wanted to focus on the sport and she wanted to win. She wanted to go out there and compete and win. And she felt like she wanted to do everything that would help her be in that mindset. No one really respected when she said that. When I say no one, I mean the directors of the Grand Slams that got themselves together and thought that they would try to threaten this woman into doing media or try to pressure her into doing media. It backfired. Because then she elaborated when she decided to opt out of the, the, the tournament. She, she said, okay, I never wanted to be a distraction, but I struggled with depression in 2018. Now, a lot of people thought that she would have been – in 2018, you would have thought she was on top of the world. She right. had beaten – like one of the best in the game. She talked about she was battling depression then. So then now everybody wants to be understanding. No, believe athletes the first time. She already said she was trying to keep her mind together. But then people didn't want to accept it because they don't want to accept that athletes have the same issues that everyday people have. And so for me, I love it. I think that what she's doing, you know, it was the same as when a Fox News host told LeBron James, one of the most well-known, greatest athletes of all time, to shut up and dribble. That started a whole brand because LeBron is too big to say that to. Naomi Osaka is the same. She's too big for those grand slams to think that they could threaten her and make her do something that she doesn't think is good for her mentals. I know that was a tangent, but I feel really strongly about that. I even went on and I tweeted that she needs to start the Osaka Open then, and she creates her own where it's designed for the best players to go there to be treated a certain way. She never said that she didn't ever want to do media again. She said that it needs to change. Maybe what if you ask the questions ahead of time? There's a moderator that knows what's going to be asked. You still get your questions. You still get your answers live from the player. But things need to change because we do know that there's media members that are not responsible. Everyone's not responsible. Some do things to try to be spicy, rude, get under the player's skin. Yeah. So I just think at this point in time, athletes have had enough when it comes to everything. Naomi Osaka, I am 100% behind anything that she's doing because it's not easy. I'm someone that opted out as well. It's not easy. So I'm behind her. You hit on a lot of points, and I think that there are a lot of – things going on with this story, and a lot of them are unique to tennis. Uh, You mentioned that there were any number of 
tweaks to the system that Roland Garros could have made, uh, the French Open could have made, including uh, moderators, etc. But the thing about tennis is it's an individual, it's an individual sport and the players have so much less leverage than they would in, in, in any other kind of sport, a team sport. Um, because the players are just naturally against each other. If Naomi Osaka drops out, you know, if I'm her competitor, I'm thinking good. You know what I mean? Like, even though I might support her, what she's saying. So that structurally is just, is just so hard. And the other thing is tennis, again, it's like 81% white. Um, most tennis fans are wealthy white people. Um, and I think that they just, it is not surprising to me that the French and that the majors acted like this because they have never been checked. They have never had to answer to criticism or anything. And that the fact that they would respond with this, it seems short sighted, but it also makes complete sense considering the demo that they deal with. I mean, this is like Rolex is a major, you know, sponsor of these, yeah. of these tournaments, yeah. you know, of Wimbledon, you look on the sideline and it's like Rolex. This is the people who watch this tournament or people who are like, I'm going to drop 30,000 on a watch. So it's just a different, it's a different mindset. And now mental health is just a conversation that I think people in general are not ready to have and don't know how to have. Yep. And don't know how to understand. And I think that's doubly true for sports where the way we talk about sports is people overcoming adversity and look how strong they were in that situation. And you go to the foul line and people are yelling at you and you hit the and you hit the ice, ice cold, cold blooded, um, big shot to overcome that pressure. And I think all that kind of discourse makes it really hard to have a mental health conversation within sports. And I think that's, you're exactly right. It's so brave when yeah. Kevin Love talked about it, when Paul George talked about it, when Naomi talked about it. And I think the thing that we need to remember is as hard it is, as it is for them to have this conversation and, and brave of them to do it. And you just, when somebody cites mental health, we just bottom line need to believe them. It's even harder yeah. for people, regular people, at their regular jobs to have that conversation with their bosses, with their management, because there is no spotlight on them. And it is such a misunderstood thing. I think like when I was reading Naomi's, her uh, final statement after pulling out where she was like, you know, I've struggled with depression. And then she goes on to say um, that she's also an introvert. I kept thinking that people who don't, who aren't checked in with mental health, who aren't like, uh, up on understanding what it really means to say I'm a person has mental health issues. They they'll they'll read that statement and say, "Oh, you're introverted. Just like, just get over it. Like you're paid millions of dollars. Just like come out of yeah. your shell." They they won't. They can't understand what that what that really means to struggle with depression is to have an illness, a chronic illness that you are dealing with. Um, so there's that issue. Then there is the fact that. Um, with a lot of these press conferences for for tennis tournaments, you're dealing with press that the athlete and the and the reporter often don't speak the same native language. So you've got now you've got a language barrier thing. So is this person being rude, or are they just struggling with whatever language they're trying to ask me a question in? Then you have the racial implications because again, it's a very white sport, and we've seen the way the sport has treated Serena, who is the greatest winner 
in the sports That's history what I was say. And, yeah. and and yeah. they feel comfortable treating her in a type of way you think of the uh, the, the controversy with uh, that happened semi recently where she was where Serena was being coached from the stands uh, a thing that's not allowed but a thing that is also that also happens all the time where a coach is giving signals to a player and they never call it so uh, all those things together make this an extremely fascinating and important discussion and then again i've had i had friends who are journalists right who said well the thing that naomi wants if that happens in sports generally, it would just decimate journalism because now it would just be PR. Yeah. If a if a if a if an athlete just talks to the one reporter that they are friendly with, then we're not getting journalism. We're just getting public yeah, relations. Yeah, I saw I that get as well. That. I understand that. I I understand that aspect of it, but I think that you have to take this particular incident in a vacuum because it really is. There are mental health issues involved. There are other issues involved. And I think you have to take it uniquely. But I under I also understand that concern from journalists. But there's extremes, though. So I think that there are extremes. Like, that's a good that's were, the point. There's yeah. extremes. We need to meet in the middle. So yeah. the problem is, is that tennis is the extreme. We've seen how tennis has treated Serena Williams and her sister, Venus Williams. We've seen it from a young age. Naomi Osaka posted it. When she posted about what was going on with her, we saw from a young age what the media tried to do with Serena Williams. Her dad has built them so headstrong that they've been able to overcome it. And I'm not saying that when you have a mental health problem that you're not headstrong. I'm saying that they've figured out how to deal with it and still excel at their sport. That doesn't make it okay. You know, what happened with Serena Williams when she gets loud and shows emotion and passion how they try to penalize her as opposed to when a male tennis player gets upset and shows passion. It's different. It's clearly different. The problem with all of it is, is everybody's thinking in extremes. What, what this conversation does, it makes us talk about it. So now we need to talk about what is the solution then? Because we've seen Allen Iverson go through this when they're talking about practice. We all know that, that press conference, we've seen it. We've seen, Plenty of athletes time and time again go to a press conference and lose it. Even Doc Rivers last year in 2020 where they're putting a camera in front of a black man's face and asking him, how does he feel about watching other black men get murdered in the streets? How do you think he feels? He, I mean, he put it so beautifully because he's a coach and he knows how to handle himself in those situations. But how do you think athletes feel? And of course, the context behind that, uh, the famous Allen Iverson practice uh, monologue is that he had just lost a, a childhood friend uh, to violence. Like that had happened exactly. that day. He had gotten that news. That's important. Um, yeah. And I forgot to say that part. I forgot. That's the back. That's the that's the mental health part. That's very important because when you're talking about things going on in your personal life. And, you know, and, and speaking of gun violence, I mean, we just had gun violence awareness day. When you see things happening in your personal life and then a camera's put in front of your face, that would be a good day for Allen Iverson to have whatever's going to happen that we create in the future. So if it's a, I need a mental health pass today and I'm not doing media because today I need a mental health pass. That doesn't mean that every day I'm not doing media, but that's why yeah. we need to have this conversation. We don't know what's going on in Naomi Osaka's life right now. 
You know, like she's talked about in 2018. She referenced what's happening in her past, but we don't know what's going on right now in the present. So there needs to be some type of situation where there's one, maybe a moderator. I understand the need for journalism. Journalism creates the media that the fans get to digest and the fans get to feel a closeness. I get that. And I understand that whole ecosystem. It needs to be there. But if something's been in place, for the existence of sports and it's never been moderated, well, then maybe it's time to update how things are done. Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here so I don't get fined. He was just trying to get ready for the Super Bowl, but they they tried to tell him he had to go do media. So he answered the questions one way to let people know that, look, I don't want to hear what you have to say to me. I'm just trying to focus on my sport, my job. So a lot of people are taking it as athletes hate the media. It's not that. Athletes are trying to deal with what's going on in their life while also trying to prepare for big moments that are going to be on display in front of the world that's going to be judged after they do it. Just to put it in perspective, that's a lot. So I think what's happening with Naomi is maybe we do need a moderator that now the media gets to ask their questions, but they submit their questions Mm -hmm. and the moderator asks it live. So they still get that live reaction that they want. But then if the questions aren't, let's say, the right line of questioning, then the moderator can send them something back, rephrase your question, and we'll ask it later. You know, I, we're not saying no media. It's saying that some media members come on there wanting violence. They chose violence, as they say on the internet. <laughs> some media members go on there and they choose violence. They don't like LeBron James. So all they want to do on that whole press conference is say rude things to LeBron James in hopes that he snaps back at them and they have something to write about. That might have to stop. That's what we're saying might need amended. And I think you said something important, and and I just want to pull it out. When a new generation and new voices come into a space anywhere, could be any workplace, doesn't matter that it's sports, but any workplace, it is quite natural for that younger generation, the new people, the new voices to look at the way things are happening, the way things are run, and say, do we really need to do it this way? That is natural. That is a thing that is a dynamic that happens in all uh, areas of life professionally. And it's a thing that uh, just happened here with Naomi Osaka and the French. And you can either have that conversation and try and open a dialogue and figure out, well, uh, do we want to be progressive? Is there a way that we can improve the things that we do? Or you can crack down, which is what the French decided to do, all of which is to say this is a natural thing. As generations come into come into a place, they want to know if this is the best way to do things and give them that buy in. You have to, because think about the new age of generation. They're gamers. They're introverts in general. Like I think Naomi Osaka is a product of our new generation where social media and gaming and all those different things have made people more introverted. I mean, even how you date dating apps are a way that a lot of people meet now. Back in the day, I'm just saying, like, I met most of the people I dated in real life, in person. Like, I never I never did that. But that's not a, it's not a bad thing that people are on dating apps. It's just the new thing. It's the normal thing now. Everything is more introverted. You meet every people more introverted. It's just different. So, yeah, maybe it's time for things to kind of shift. So, of course, we're going to continue to uh, follow the story. Uh, Naomi's one of our favorite athletes. And we will see if this sparks a broader conversation, not just around mental health, but in the relationship between the press and athletes, uh, in athletes having a greater voice in the way sports are run. We shall see. 
This episode of Take Line is brought to you by Karayuma, the sustainable sneaker brand creating cool, seriously comfortable kicks in a way that's better for you and the planet. Style and sustainability go hand in hand with Karayuma. From day one, they've been doing things differently, from partnering with ethical factories to sourcing low-impact natural materials, even designing their own single-box carbon-neutral shipping program. Their best-selling style is the Oka Low, a classic low-top made with organic cotton canvas and a natural rubber outsole. Oka is everything you want in a summer sneaker, classic, comfortable, right out of the box, and available in best-selling colors like rose, green, navy, and off-white. Karayuma's 100% vegan EB sneaker recently had a wait list of over 20,000 people. Now the EB is grown by one. The new EB slip-on has three times lower carbon emissions than the average industry sneaker currently on the market, not to mention the ease and comfort of a slip-on sneaker. The EB is made with super lightweight sugarcane outsole and a perfect upper knit from recycled plastic bottles and sustainably harvested bamboo. They're even machine washable. Every pair comes with Karayuma's signature insoles made with cork, organic Mamona oil, and memory foam. They're lightweight and breathable, but that's not a trade-off for comfort. There's really a night and day difference between this shoe and the other canvas sneakers. You know the ones. Karayuma ships free and fast in the USA and offers worldwide shipping and 60-day free returns. They use single-box recycled packaging for a carbon-neutral delivery to your front door. And for a limited time, TakeLine listeners can get an exclusive 15% off your pair of Karyuma sneakers. Go to C-A-R-I-U-M-A dot com slash TakeLine to get 15% off. That's C-A-R-I-U-M-A dot com slash TakeLine for 15% off only for a limited time. TakeLine is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage I have ever tried. As y'all know, I'm an athlete that's always on the go. And what I love about Athletic Greens is how much time I save while still getting a healthy dose of vitamins and minerals. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients it needs to thrive. Busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise, the environment, stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave us deficient in key nutrients. This is where Athletic Greens can help. Their daily all-in-one superfood powder is your nutritional essential. It simplifies the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you one thing with all the best things. It also tastes great, which is super hard to find. Take it from me. I've tried so many other health drinks, powders, juices, bars, etc., etc. With as many as 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense formula on the market. Now, there's no need for multiple pills or complex routines. So filling the nutritional gaps in your diet is as easy as one simple scoop. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. So if you're looking to get more out of your multivitamin and invest in your immunity, energy, and gut health, then you'll struggle to find anything more comprehensive than Athletic Greens. They are offering our audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit our link today. You'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash line and join health experts, athletes, and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health. 
Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash take line and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Take line is brought to you by SESH. That's S-E-S-H. Traditional therapy can be expensive. And to many of us, it's inaccessible. Hundreds of dollars a month to text with a counselor? No thanks. SESH offers a safe space for group support where you can connect with other people in similar situations, all led by expert therapists. SESH is the leading mental health app for accessible group support facilitated by diverse, licensed therapists who are experts in their field. SESH makes it easy to find your community. There are sessions for people of all different backgrounds on topics like living with anxiety or depression, building healthy habits, coping with COVID, managing stress, parenting, relationships, body image, low self-esteem, postpartum, and more. Each SESH is a 60-minute online group support session led by an experienced therapist with a specific specialty, and each session has a maximum of 14 participants. SESH also offers community-specific support for Black, Latinx, LGBTQIA+, the AAPI community, and more. SESH is only $60 per month for unlimited group sessions with licensed therapists. SESH is recommended by top psychologists, therapists, and mental health experts, and it offers a cost-effective way to meet your mental health goals. Oprah Magazine named SESH a top virtual mental health resource. It was the most affordable option on the list. Each new user receives a free two-week trial. Take the first step and go to seshtherapy.com today or download the SESH app in the App Store today. Again, that's seshtherapy.com. SESH is mental health care made easy, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Super excited about this next guest. He is a two-time NBA champion, 11-time NBA All-Star. Very soon, he is going to enter the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. His new book, Letters to a Young Athlete, is available now. Chris Bosch, thank you for uh, coming on the program. Man, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, Chris, uh, one of the things that's evident from following your career, from reading your book, is that um, you are a reader, a voracious person who takes in information. What made you decide to structure your book in the way that you did as as missives to your younger self? Um, You, you know, that's kind of been a question a lot of people ask. Is it to my younger self? You know, I think we all see a, a younger version of ourselves in, mm. in younger people that we admire. Right. Some some uh, talent that is there and that's either just getting through or dormant mm. and, and not even if that person is younger, just someone with a possibility inside themselves. And, and so I wanted to, we felt that the letter aspect was very, very personable. Uh, during that time, I, I remember amongst all of the classics, I was reading uh, letters from Seneca 
um, oh, wow. you know, every now yeah. and then. Yeah. So I was kind of, <laughs> we were kind of in that vibe, but it was something uh, that was encapsulating about writing a letter. And, you know, especially today with instant messaging and, and, yeah. and direct messaging and, and, and social media and email, you know, letters are kind of a defunct technology, but it still works. You know, so I thought it would kind of be nostalgic, but very, very personable. I want people to feel uh, like I'm writing it to them. So you, you mentioned uh, Seneca's famous collection of, of letters. I, I can't pronounce it in Latin. Uh, <laughs> but that that uh, that brings me to a really uh, interesting part of your book and, and just you and your career. Uh, chapter four in the book is about cultivating the mind and it's about – you know, for you at least, it's about breaking this like dumb jock stereotype and and finding different influences and things that'll inform whatever it is that a person chooses to do with their career. Yeah. How has that informed what you do, whether it be your athletic life or your your post athletic life? I mean, it's all about learning and wanting to get better. I mean, I, I can't even describe to you why I do the things that mm. I do. It's just in me. I just wanted to do it, like. You know, I talk about this in my book. Like, why are you doing this? I remember someone asking me, why are you working so hard? And I was in the pros. <laughs> right. You know, I was in the pros. I'm not an MVP. Sure, I'm an all-star. But it's certain things that I have not attained. And I see my vision is is so much more time and space in, in between where I am now and where I want to mm. be. And And so, like... I've had people ask me, why are you working so hard? <laughs> that was such a crazy question to me. I, I was like, I don't know. How do I answer that question? You know, you just you just do it. And um, I'm very I'm very much in tune with wanting to get people to get that out of themselves as well. Mm. What What are some of the things that you've that you've read over the years that have just impacted you in some way, you know, awakened something in you, changed the way you think? The way and the power. Um, that's uh, it's a pretty deep one. Now. I don't even think they print those anymore, but it was uh, this Japanese philosophy book on the samurai, the philosophy mm. of the samurai. That's when I was trying to win championships and like all the way into, right. you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah. moments, bro. <laughs> you know, um uh, the obstacle is the way by uh, Ryan Holiday. That 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 will, that one always stuck with me because you know that's just such a great thought, right? Man, mm. the obstacle is the way. If I'm, I have a lot of obstacles right now, and I want to run the other way, but no, I'm going to run toward them, mm. and I'm going to work on myself to get around them, or or climb them, or break through them. Whatever I need to do to overcome it, I can. Uh, Grit by Angela Duckworth. Uh, that's a good one. Um, that was one of uh, uh, my coach, Eric Spolster, uh, head coach of the Miami Heat in the NBA. Mm -hmm. He um, he would always gift us books during Christmas. And that was one of the books I would actually, you know, I read the books he sent just because I knew. And then we challenge each other. We debate during the season and all that stuff. It was a lot of fun. He gave us that book, and I, and, and I, and I really got a lot from that because you know at the time as a, going uh, through the the rigors of being a professional athlete, it gets lonely, it gets tough, yeah. it gets hard. You know, you have just like anybody else trying to be a good professional, you, you have to fight through these things, and I found myself doing that. And 
I, I got to go with Outliers uh, by Malcolm Gladwell because that's like a everybody knows that one. That's like a that's a household name. Uh, that book uh, for especially for readers, you know, that's like the book, you know, like Outliers, Outliers, you know, it's like that's the one. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Harry Potter fan, too. You know, what I mean, I can't leave Harry Potter out. Harry Potter and, and the Hunger Games did all that, too. I got that side to me, too. Just got to put that out there as a disclaimer. What's your what's your favorite Harry Potter book? The Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire is great. Yeah, it's a sport. A lot of sports in that, so that makes a lot of sense. A lot of, it goes, <laughs> a lot it goes of competing. Deep, you know what I mean? It's like I tell people, like, yo, he was in the maze for a very long time, yeah. and the movies it was like ten minutes. You know, yeah. like, they were in there for a while. You know, it was wild. <laughs> um, speaking of of your sports life, when you look at the NBA landscape in particular now, and just thinking about the things that you're a part of as a member of the Miami Heat. A, a team that really kind of set the tone for, I think, what the NBA would become in terms of uh, mm-hmm. talented people joining forces, taking control of their own careers, taking agency in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel any 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 kind of uh, pride for being part of a thing that helped change the trajectory of the, of the way athletes engage with their their sport professionally? You know, yeah, we do. Unfortunately, you know, my uh, career came to an end. Yes. I mean, I think I don't think that story will be told until we kind of dissect the career of LeBron. Yeah, because that'll be our segue into it. Um, and, you know, just I saw myself still playing as well. We're the same age. Right. So I didn't see myself being in this position. Um but yeah, I do think we have uh, um, have a lot to to do with that because it was just a brand new thought. Uh, it was a brand new idea. It had never been done in that context before. Sure, uh, the big three in Boston happened, but man, a lot of strings had to be pulled to make that happen. They had to make like two or three trades, yeah. you know, and and that's after. You know, I, we, we we all suffer in the pros on on the road to greatness, but Paul Pierce, man. Was suffering, KG was suffering. <laughs> you know, just they, 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 you know, they caught the right moment. When does that ever happen? It never happens in sports, you know. So they, they were, um, in, they were in that way in that aspect, and yeah. they set the tone for what you have to do, uh, the talent that is required, um, and it's always been like that. But this was obvious, yeah, um, to win an NBA championship. So we, um. We took it, the onus on ourselves to say, okay, and it was a new thing. Like, hey, let's stay flexible. And, and you know, right. just to be honest, as uh, as a young black man, um, everybody did not like that. <laughs> they did not like it. Yeah. <laughs> they, had, they, they did they not have issues like with it. They have issues with it today when people today <laughs> yeah. try and do it. It's just like, whoa, I mean, come on. I mean, it's, it's free enterprise, right? This right. is the land of capitalism. Right. Not to get too deep or anything, but this is America. And yep. um, we are all business people. And especially now we're in the age of, you know, decentralization is a topic. Um, not to say that they're the same, but, you know, um, things getting disrupted always happens. Right. And yep. at the end of the day, it's a business. I mean, we hate to say it, uh, but it is. It's a business. Um, it is what it is. We all want to uh, participate at the highest levels, but... Um, it is a business and players have to make the decisions that we're just now being aware of that 
just like the organizations have been mm-hmm. making decisions uh, since the inception. I mean, as part of that, finding that way, finding your place in this kind of like new era of disruption, when it feels like so many of the uh, the way things have been run for a long time are kind of like fraying and coming apart. Is some of that uh, your your uh, inspiration for for writing this book? Not only just trying to find these these nuggets of wisdom that you could pass on to other people, but trying to find your way through it on your own. Like, do you find do you find yourself working through <laughs> ideas and things as you're writing this book? Oh hell yeah, man! It's funny you say that. You've been the first person to actually ask that question. Yes, um, my friends and I we we have a funny saying in in writing a book about obstacles. We had to you know get over obstacles writing the book. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so I was living out real time. I want people to understand that, like, you know, this isn't coming from me standing at a podium telling other people what they need to do. This is me telling you what I'm doing while I'm doing it. But use the lessons (laughs) from back in the day and kind of reflect doing this weird reflection when I didn't want to reflect. I thought I would be playing as opposed to reflecting. And, you know, I had to deal with that trauma and deal with that disappointment and that heartache. And so if people are struggling out there, I hear you. Not that our struggles are the same. All problems are relative. But if you can take one sentence from this book, it's worth it. You know, um, all of these principles. And I wasn't trying to do it on purpose. Right. (laughs) It was happening real time. And, and, you know, we I'm I'm so glad that we just stuck with it um, and and kept going until we accomplished our dreams. Was there anything while while you were going through this process and writing? You mentioned like finding your way through it where um, you thought this project would be one thing, but then as you're processing your own thoughts, all of a sudden it be, maybe it became something else. Any moments like that? Yeah. I mean, when, when the idea came to have a book, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was crazy. I said, what? Okay. <laughs> you like that? You know, it was, you know, I was just kind of, yeah. Okay, great. Let's do some yeah. more. You know, it was just, it, it was amazing. That was an amazing accomplishment. And I had to I had to learn how to be patient with myself to learn mm-hmm. how to, you know, sometimes I think we can all get caught up in. Is this something right now? Right. Yeah. And yeah. I just start. I have five kids, man. I had to start letting stuff go <laughs> like whatever idea you have of a work day, of a project, of work, of accomplishments. You know, come on. I mean, you got to they they're going to take up. You know, rightfully so, their time. They need it. You know, yeah. you have to mold them. And a, and a great deal amount of my time goes to that. So, like, I had to be aware of that and just and just appreciate when I do get to work or when I do get to play, man, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm doing. And wholeheartedly, I just love the process. And if people like it, you know, if my close circle likes it, that's, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Great. Okay. Let, yeah, let's just... Keep this process going. It was an incremental process over three years, you know, and, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, Pat Riley wrote the foreword uh, to the book, and it is one of the most Pat Riley things that I've ever read in my life. It is uh, – <laughs> I could feel him yelling at me and telling me to <laughs> run wind sprints and do suicides uh, through every word of it. And, of course, uh, you know, your time in Miami, there's just so many uh, driven type A – 
going for greatness personalities around, whether it be LeBron, Wade, Udonis, uh, Coach Spolstra, being around people who kind of all understand drive for greatness in a certain way, but maybe slightly different ways. How did that inform just the way you go about your life and the way you went about uh, competing? Oh, man. Um, the thing about our situation was you hear LeBron, not one, not two. He was yep. speaking. <laughs> he put it on. He put the, the heat on. He was, yeah, he was speaking in terms of our intention. You know, that was our intention. We're not here just to win one, man. We're here to win multiple. We know that. We're acknowledging we know that because mm-hmm. we know you know. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, of course, we could talk about how I got spun out of control and all that stuff. That's <laughs> fine. You know, it, it just it made for a better story. Um, you know, but more so, you have to recognize where you are. Yeah. Um, I think that's healthy. Um, I think that's always a necessary. You don't have to do it, but I think I think it helps out because when you say that was the main thing that we said when we got there. Hey, we're we're here to win a championship, so this is the team that we have to construct. It's all about teamwork, communication, mental preparation. We've got to visualize ourselves doing it. This is what it's about because at the end of the day, we want to win a championship. Yeah. Collectively, we are here to win a championship. And there's so many people out there that might be like, hey, I'm kind of in that situation, too. It doesn't even have to be basketball. I don't know what your situation is. But if you're in that situation, it's like, yeah, we're here to be successful. What role do I play in this team? How do I make this team better? And what are we going to do today to get better? The, The messages are the same. So that was always the continuous message with that team. And ups and downs. It was hard. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying it's easy. It's hard. You don't, you don't, you're not going to want to do it some days. You know what I mean? Like what? You want me to what? Mop the floor. <laughs> Get out of here, bro. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. I'm a programmer. Now, yeah, we need you to go to the programming building and mop the floor, but you'll be the person on the championship team. People won't want to do it. Right. And then, OK, great. You you're on a championship team. You were mopping the floor. You cold. Oh, man, come on over here. Think yeah. about all of the things that people miss out on, you know. So that's kind of, you know, my my two cents on just the situations and how they connect. It's all it's all the same to me. Just to kind of draw that connection, maybe a little a little darker. I'm sure that you, you talked about um you thought you'd be playing right now and then your career yeah. was cut short um, in a way that you, you didn't expect. And it's great to, I, when we came on it, it's great to see you, you look great. It's just great to see you. Uh, <laughs> Appreciate it. I, I'm sure that there are, you know, we've been through a traumatic time on earth like this last year. And I'm yeah. sure there's a lot yeah. of people, uh, you know, who, who know you and might read this book, might pick it up and who are, who have obstacles in their path or dealing with situations where a life has changed in a way they didn't expect. And now they have to figure out what's next. Um, yeah. But what, <laughs> what could they find in, in your book and what would you say as, as, as you've gone on your own journey has helped you find your way through this, this path of, of uh, surprise of a place that you didn't think you'd find yourself. Uh, the most powerful part to me was the conclusion. When I read the mm. conclusion again, I was like, damn, I don't even read the conclusion. I need to start reading the conclusions more because <laughs> like, this one is really good. I keep forgetting how good it is. You know, we did a good job only because 
I forget how it ended myself. I, I forget right. the, yeah. the, right, the, the harshness of the truth. Yeah. And that is my last, I won't spoil it, but that's one of my last uh, messages to the reader. And I always tell people, um, you know, play every, play, have every situation. It's tough to say like it's your last. How cliche is that? Right, but of course. Damn, that really happened to me. You know, when the yeah. coach says, play yeah. every game like it's your last. Like, ah, oh, yeah, take it easy. Yeah. Man, that really happened to me. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just want people to enjoy what they do. And, and if you don't have that thing, I'm, I'm not saying everybody has it. I'm so lucky to have basketball and, and, and so much to the fact where I, I'm empathetic to the person who loved theater and didn't yeah. have theater class, you know. Tons of my friends, you know, that didn't have the same uh, opportunity because of lack of resources. But I think we live in an age now where we can kind of we can get rid of that thought. We can conquer that thought. Um, we can do the things that we want to do. And and as long as they're positive and, and, and you really connect with it and it speaks to you. Oh, man, that's. I'm telling you, I lived it, man. And that's after. And don't get me wrong. I felt, you know, you told I, I read a lot of books. And like after basketball was done, it's like, we'll do what you love. I said, man, right. get that out of here. <laughs> you know, my conscience told me right away, do what you love. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, man, I said I didn't want to hear it because it was so mm -hmm. simple. Yet it's something that needed to be done. And I'm so glad that I followed it. I wouldn't have. Um, I wouldn't have published a book, been able to to be a part of a publishing team uh, without it. <laughs> uh, finally, Chris, what are, you, what are you reading right now? What's on the nightstand right now? Right now, Promised Land by Barack Obama. Oh, hello. <sighs> Woo! Boy, master class, man. First black president, you know, I feel that it's a must read, Not you know, not only for all human beings, but especially... Mm -hmm. As a black man in America, I encourage all black men to read that. That's in our history, man. You know, we need to read that. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, he's taking me to class. Uh, Chris Bosch, <laughs> congratulations on the Hall of Fame. Congratulations on the book. Thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. All right, so y'all know what that sound means. It's time for the buzzer beaters where we talk about the stories we didn't get to cover yes. in the show because of time. Jason, what you got? I got the Knicks season. I want uh, so listen. The loss to the Hawks. It's been said many a time. The regular season is about your strengths. This Knicks strengths were uh, Julius Randle defense and playing extremely, extremely, extremely hard. And the playoffs are often about a team's weaknesses, and those weaknesses were on display. And I think it was kind of necessary. The Knicks had overachieved over the course of the season. Julius Randle was amazing. I think in addition to the 40% from three, the six assists were like a major wow, but also yeah. a red flag because if the Knicks actually had an elite playmaker, Julius Randle wouldn't need to average six assists a game. And what we saw in the playoffs was that the Knicks desperately need that playmaker. 
Derrick Rose was their best player for stretches, and he is not a playmaker. He's get give me the ball, I'm gonna go out there and score, and I'll maybe I'll kick it out as I get to the rim if I see somebody open and I can't get there. And what we learned also is that Julius he is not used to handling the ball under playoff pressure and finding people. That's just not his game. He did it remarkably well during the regular season, but he he couldn't do it during the playoffs, and that's not a knock on him. Knicks need a playmaker, and I think yeah. Leon Rose and I think the front office saw that, and hopefully they they take the steps to improve the team. But I think overall, a great season that uh, revealed some things about the team that needed to be revealed. Uh, I ain't mad at it. I'm so happy they made the playoffs after eight long years. Um, and it was fun. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to have the same fun with Philly. Like, you know, it was, there's a different type of energy when you energy. go against the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. We have Jason Concepcion. We have Spike <laughs> Lee. I mean, it was, I'm just telling you, I had a lot of New York Knicks friends. So I just had fun with that. I, I will say that. Like, you guys, like, it was fun. I'm glad you mentioned the fans because I just want to, like, it, it was such a point of conversation. Should the fans have done this? Should they have, should they have poked the bear with Trey? Listen, Trey, again, Trey is going to be inspired no matter what. But it, here's the thing about Knicks fans. <laughs> the team doesn't deserve them. It's time for the team to put together a team that deserves that level of fan engagement and support. And I hope that that happens. I see it. I see what you're saying there. What about you, Renee? Also, for me, I'm in Florida right now. We have a family vacation. So just so people know, when you're an athlete, planning vacation is almost impossible. Let me not even just say athlete. Let me say WNBA player. We play two seasons every year. The WNBA is in the summer, and then we go play overseas in the offseason. Well, sports, as you know, you don't know when you're going to get knocked Mm -hmm. out. So I've been playing sports my whole life, and so you can't plan a vacation when I get knocked out in the second round, and then I have two weeks until I have to report to my next team. That's my normal life. So this is my first family vacation in my adult life since. Before I went to college, I didn't even go on one in hot. Thank you. And I love you guys. So I'm still here with Jason because I love take line. But I really did like finally just decide that I'm going to block off a week in my calendar and spend it with family because this is the first time we actually got to plan in advance a vacation. So Montgomery family vacation vibes. We are in here. I love it here. That's what's happening. Have a great vacation. Thank you. That's it for us this week. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out. Like and subscribe. Five-star ratings. We will accept nothing else. See you next week. Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez.